Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Dev Chen Symposium. I'm Yves Chen, and I'm Alex Severo. This is the place where interesting topics are discussed, ideas are examined, and culture are fused. All opinions are welcome, and we embrace beliefs from all walks of life, big or small. So let's just go ahead and get right into it. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Devchen Symposium. So last week we were talking about six different dance genres as well as music genre, fantastic material. And this week we we're gonna focus on class society and their portrayal in films. Yeah, and essentially what we're gonna be talking about this week, we're gonna be talking about two topics in particular. One is an independent film out of Spain called Platform. The other one is a classic work by George Orwell called Animal Farm. And both of these films have a lot to do with what Eve said: social class structures and how societies are built. And what we're going to examine is how these works are sort of commentaries on class structures, on how these societies are built, and just about social structures in general. Exactly. Actually, those topics were the reason that we started talking like on a weekly basis. So we're really glad that we can dive down and then into the specific topic. In the future, there are also a lot more topics like that. So stay tuned. Let's start talking about the plot and huge spoiler forward. So be prepared.、Um, platform. So it is a Spanish thriller. The film is setting a large tower-like vertical self-management center. Its resident hoarders, which every thirty days between its many floors, are fed via a platform, which initially filled with food at the top floor. And exactly 333 pounds every single day, gradually descend through the tower's level, each level getting only the leftover from the previous ones. So it is a system bound to cause conflict, as the residents at the top level can eat as much as they want in a fixed time, leaving increasingly little for those below. And there are totally 333 levels to host 666 people. If you're at the highest level, of course you can eat. Like having a buffet at a top Michelin star restaurant, but if you're at a lower level, you will feel like you're going to a grocery where all the items are slaughtered by other customers, just exactly like what happened in COVID. I assume everyone will have the exactly same feeling. <laughs> People are randomly reassigned to a new level every month. Each resident is allowed to bring only one item with them. So our main character, Goren. Which he weirdly wanted to quit his smoking habits and get a degree, so he chose to stay in this prison. He chooses a copy of Don Quixote, surprisingly.、Mm-hmm. Well, in the meantime, his inmates, Trimagasi,、uh, choose a self-sharpening knife. So one day, a blooded woman named Meharo rides on the platform. Trimagasi explains that she descends to the pit every month in search of her child. Yeah, and essentially, what happens is. Goren goes through this sort of Dante-esque kind of adventure, where he first begins at one level with Trimagasi, then they are randomly assigned to a lower level, and on that lower level, Trimagasi tries to convince Goren and essentially ties Goren up so that they can cannibalize, because there's not a lot of food going from top levels all the way down to that level compared to the level that they were originally at.、Mm. But what ends up happening is、right. Miharu saves Goren, and Goren is sort of.、Uh, Let's just say he was persuaded into cannibalistic tendencies because of the lack of food in the situation, and after that he ends up in a different level with a woman named、uh, Imogiri, who was actually the woman who originally brought him into the tower complex, brought him into the system, 
and who encourages him to cannibalize for the sake of survival. And then he ends up going even higher to a higher, highest level with a man named Baharat. And Baharat and Goreng decide to ration out the food, to sit on the level, to sit on the platform itself, and to go down and try to give people their fair share of food. Until at the very end, they meet this little girl who actually is the daughter of Miharu. And this little girl is meant to symbolize the success or the failure of the tower itself. Because if the little girl survives, the tower is working. If the little girl is dead, then the system is broken. But the little girl survives, even in a sort of despondent state. And the end of the film essentially begins with Goreng and Baharat sort of leaving the system, but the little girl and Miharu mm-hmm. going back up yeah. to the top. And that's the whole basis of the story itself. It's rather simple in terms of its concept. It's one location, but there's a lot of different rules to it. And there's a lot of different methods of approach, which are explored during the course of the film through the eyes of Definitely. There are a lot of debates and discussion about the ending, the girl ascending. And being said, there are no kids in the whole system there is actually this little girl so what do you think of this message like alex what's your understanding for the concept and then the thing that the independent film want to deliver i think the little girl itself she can definitely represent the resilience of the human spirit in the face of very intense structures because the thing about humanity and what makes humanity a very adept and a very complex species is the fact that we need to differentiate differentiate everything and structure everything mm-hmm. especially within urban environments within metropolitan environments and major cities the whole basis of cities and the reason why cities tend to be the way they are compared to the countryside is because everything is structured in a very particular way you have to differentiate between people you have to differentiate between objects you have to differentiate between those who have wealth and who don't and you need to allocate accordingly Mm. that's the way cities work and when you have a little girl surviving in a system like this which has a tendency to be rather brutal which tends to bring out some of the worst qualities in humanity as well as some rather lukewarm qualities then it shows that there is hope that you can survive that there is hope that pretty much you could be on the lower tier of society work your way up work your way back down and sort of drift through it so long as you have the mindset, as, as long as you have a very clear sense of who you are, so to say. Hmm. Yeah, I did a lot of research on the ending, and there are, like, of course, different versions. This one singing is the girl was played by the adamanting every month, you know, by placing the most helpless being on earth to see if anyone would fed her. So when the girl is alive, it sends a message to Adam's team, the assistant, that how kind of fucked up the assistant is. Well, the other explanation is that the administration put this huge experiments to analyze and understand the human behavior. And they use that kind of data to interpret human from outside. I think this message really kind of related to internet and big data. What do you think? And do you think the internet is big data is ethical? Um, you know, there is a quote in a movie called The Tower is Everywhere, which kind of symbolized that this method of understanding human behavior is everywhere. What do you think, Alex? Well, I think with internet and big data, internet and big data, in a sense, has inhabited a niche that is the necessity for all of humanity. And that creates a lot of power centralized into these corporate entities within these businesses. I mean, 
if you try to meet some trying to meet somebody who doesn't have at least some social media presence who doesn't have some kind of internet presence who doesn't use the internet on a day-to-day basis that's almost non-existent anymore it's like a very small fraction of humanity and so mm-hmm. big data and big internet they inhabit a vast amount of wealth almost akin to the gilded age businessmen from the 19th century and early 20th centuries of the United States. And so what you sort of look at with these corporations, with these internet uh, bodies that are controlling the internet in such a way, or pretty much articulating it in such a way, you essentially look at them and you sort of see that they have a lot of power. And in fact, they could potentially have the power to combat any kind of government, so to say, or any government that Mm. doesn't have the same kind of economic power. And that's not necessarily a criticism. That's just a basic fact. If you do inhabit that niche, if you control that niche that all of humanity relies upon, then you have an immense amount of power. And how to sort of approach it, how to sort of come to grips with it, it's a really long process because if one individual or a group of individuals doesn't control this kind of power and it's left to the people themselves and it's left to the masses or if it's left to a government, is that necessarily better? Do they know how to control it? Do they know how to maintain it? Do they understand the power, the kind of power that they're left in control with? And the question is, I really don't know. I'm not sure if big tech and big data is a good thing. I'm not sure if it's a bad thing. But what I do know is, and the fact remains, is that they have a lot of power because everyone relies on the internet and everyone relies on the services that these companies are providing. Well, it is kind of dangerous at some point. You know, there is a class that I took in Gallantin at NYU, and then the course name is Consumer Risen Gaze. They talk about big data and internet from a very, very academic perspective. There are so many scholars, resources in the industry that are doing amazing work on that. There are so many theories behind my normal consciousness that I have not even, you know, thought about it before. I really highly recommend everyone to like dig it through. Also thinking about what you do in your daily job. Like I'm a digital marketer. So on my daily basis, I need to look through all the big data to manipulate kind of the Instagram algorithm as well as the Facebook algorithm and everything. So very, very relevant topic. But in terms of the big takeaway for this whole movie, um, I'm thinking like oftentimes the oppressed really try to prove their humanity to the oppressor. But perhaps I think their strategy is to prove the inhumanity of the oppressors. That is the message that this film wanted to convey us. And it really corresponds to the time that we're in right now with the Black Lives Matter, with the government issue, with COVID, everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the major thing about it is that it's always trying to portray a blacker backdrop so you can see the sparks of humanity even brighter. It's the kind of technique that people always use by saying, look at how dark this world is, look at how disparate our circumstances are, and look at the humanity within the darker circumstances. It makes the humanity shine even brighter. It's a very old technique. Mm -hmm. It's been used in storytelling all the time. It's been used in politics. It's been used in all different kinds of facets of the world Mm -hmm. because it's the absolute truth. When you have a darker backdrop, when you portray the world in a darker way, that helps you see the humanity three times as bright, four times as bright. Mm -hmm, It's part mm -hmm. of the reason why black humor tends to be a little bit more funny because if you have humor in a very dark environment, the jokes tend to be that much funnier, the humor tends to be that much poignant and that much on point. 
Right. People like to peek through other people's mindset and thinking about, oh, oh, what's the dark side about the other people's? Kind of a reflection for inner self by the person himself. So let's talk about film aesthetics. And I don't know, you study a lot for film series and also production, all the technical stuff. So for this film specifically, the platform, how do you like the color tone and how do you like the film technique? How the director and producer use different methods to deliver the film and also deliver the message? And in general, how do you like the acting? Tell me about it. Well, I want to say that Platform itself is a very indie film, very much an independent film. Yes. The way you can differentiate between an independent film versus a studio film is that with studio films, they have a very particular style that tries to encourage one thing, and that's box office revenue, and that encourages eyesight and a wide audience. They're not necessarily too focused on portraying very complex themes, very complex storylines. If that does happen in the film, okay, but as long as it brings in the audience, as long as it brings in the viewers, the studio is going to be happy. Independent films are more concentrated upon artistic expressionism. They're more concerned about portraying ideas, portraying thoughts. They're not meant to be the most financially successful films, though there are independent films that have done wildly successful. Most of the time, they're always concerned about ideas and the content. And Platform is no exception to this. Mm. It's set in one environment, which is the tower. It is set pretty much almost in the same uh, zone, so to say, in the same setting. Because mm -hmm. each of the platforms has almost the exact same layout. The only thing that's different is like the lighting and the positions and yeah. what's on the platform itself. So that shows mm -hmm. the sort of production quality that is there. Mm -hmm. And it also very much deals with expressionist thoughts and expressionist ideas. And the reason mm -hmm. I use the word expressionism is because expressionism as a concept is all about portraying emotions. And emotions right. in this case are very much like strong, very much horrific, very much gruesome, very gothic. And they're very much meant to shock people into watching this, showing the depravities and bringing everything to an extreme. Right. And that's what makes this sort of like a sci-fi thriller film, just by the fact that they show emotions like this. And then yeah. also, and in a very minute way, in a very final way I'm going to discuss, is essentially using the camera angles, but also the camera definition itself. Because when you have the camera in a kind of way with high definition, you see the definition on the person's face. You see the wrinkles, mm -hmm. you see the eyes, you see the defining features, the nose. You might even see the cheekbones come out a little bit. And mm -hmm. when you see that much resolution definition, it adds a sense of realism. And that realism can translate to, oh my God, this can happen to me. This is real. Yeah. So when definitely. you see Gassi sitting at the platform, smother like stuffing his face full of just different scraps and rotten food particles, when you see them defecating or urinating, and when you see them walking around stretching as God made them essentially in the nude, you can sort of see every little detail. And that really much is a very disturbing image, so to say. Because unlike uh, a lot of things in this world, humanity really doesn't like being confronted with its realities. They, we're a very uh, imagination-driven species. We really want to imagine that there is good in the world, to imagine that there is something better. We're very much mm -hmm. looking forward to the future. And when we see this kind of reality existing in such a realistic fashion, we sort of remind ourselves, oh my God, there is badness in this world. This yeah. scares me and sort of brings you down to a whole different level. 
Definitely. There are different levels of coloring, which is very interesting because the main level is gray, ironish, really rusty, that kind of feeling. When our main character has his hallucination, the whole color tone became red. That kind of intense contrast is very, very, you know, phenomenal for me when I was watching that film. As well as, like you said, it's very, very expressive. Um, you can see the really detailed wrinkle and then the, the blood, the sweat, like the angle of the knife, everything is in your face. Kind of like throw a thousand of different interesting sharp elements into your brain. So in that way, you're really just caught up at the moment. You can really feel the intense emotion portrayed by the film. I think that's the thing that I really, really love about the film. Yeah, and the main thing about the film, and this goes back to abstractism and sort of abstract art, is that different colors have different emotional effects on the individuals. When yeah. you see red, you feel sort of like heat a little bit. When you see yellow, you feel this sort of warmth. When it's blue, you feel sort of coldness. When you see green, you sort of think like nature. And these kinds of emotions, these kind of feelings that arise because of the colors themselves really translate just as much as they do in abstract art into film itself. When you have these kinds of colorations, especially when you combine different colors, you create different feelings within the human psyche, within the human mind. And it goes to mm -hmm. show the power of cinema with like visual art, visual colors, but also movement as well. Because mm -hmm. if you see an individual moving through this kind of colorations, you sort of feel how the individual is feeling when they're going through this kind of environment. Yeah. And I think besides the film aesthetics in film series, I really, really like how message is delivered in this film platform so let's talk about greater message in correlation to social theories coming back to our topic for today so many main characters so interesting i think each individual deserve a detailed breakdown and discussion so let's start with our main character Goran. um he well, you know, more and more like the book character Don Quixote, you know, which is the world's first modern novel. He doesn't bring other stuff but a book. And this is also symbolized Goran's character. So he started off as an idealist, very noble, human decency, all that. Of course, as the film progressed, clearly those traits do not exist anymore. He's forced kind of by the system to eat up his own, you know, cellmates kind of raise another philosophical question that I want to ask you. So are choice actually choices? You know, the choices that we offer in the society that are offered by the society. So, you know, meanwhile, we have all the freedom to choose. Do you think it is actually a freedom to choose? Well, I always believe that in this kind of circumstance with Goring, it's very much goes back to the fact that you don't want to behave in this kind of ways, but you have to do what you have to do to survive. And that's true about anyone who's in these kinds of desperate circumstances. Some, you want to be moral, you want to be ethical, but morality and ethics, while they are a necessity of humanity, in certain circumstances, they're more of a luxury. Sometimes mm. when you're in a kind of a circumstance, when you're in a certain frame of mind, then you have to behave in a kind of way just to get from point A to point B. And of course, you may not want to do this, but sometimes you just have to do it. And for people who don't have the sort of sense of need that have everything they need in life, they have the luxury of behaving a little bit more uh, moral and ethical. They can behave in a kind of way that isn't necessarily like uh, barbaric or savage. But I guarantee yeah, you, I if you. they were in a lower tier environment, an environment where they were hungry or starving or thirsty 
or they were neglected or something like that, they will do things that will generally shock people. It's like what happens in, uh, I think it was the Stanford prison experiment or something like that. When you mm. go to prison and you're in that kind of circumstance where there's iron bars in front of you, there's concrete walls, that essentially creates a whole new person inside of you where you have to conform to that system. And that system, I actually watched a documentary with Danny Trejo. He pretty much said you either be predator or prey. And sometimes this person mm -hmm. who may be the nicest individual, the saintly individual in the world, in prison may be That's the, the absolute demon. That's the game. That's the thing. You know, delivered by all the very famous sociological experiments, like you said, the Stanford prison experience. Um, choices. Imagine all the product that we are offered by, you have the street and to choose, but actually not because every products are kind of processed by different regulation, documentation, all that kind of things. I had a really interesting conversation with a, no, uh, like a doctor who's really studying nutrition. She told me that, you know, for a product to be on shelf in order to be organic, it literally took five years. Not because it is hard to produce that service product. It is because the whole procedure for getting through the government regulation, ABCDEFG, getting into the consumer hands, it's a long chain. There are so many battles need to fight. So, like, think about it. When you have the choice, quote unquote, to choose, do you actually have the freedom to choose? Probably yeah. not. Probably not, especially Probably not. in these kinds of city environments where society itself is structured so you choose the options that society has laid before you. If you try to choose an option that society doesn't uh, necessarily endorse or doesn't necessarily offer for you, then you're sort of shunned by society a little bit or you end up being departing from society, which may be a good thing, which may be a bad thing. It depends on where you are in society and whether or not you can profit in society. If you can't profit by the society that you're in, then chances are you probably better off take your chances in some other society, some other kind of world. You can try to change the society itself, but it takes a massive effort. As you can tell by a lot of uh, people in the Black Lives Matter movement who are trying to change the way the police system works, trying to see, change the way the government works in systematic racism, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of people coming together saying, we disapprove of this. And even then, it's going to take decades for change to occur. And it's going to take decades more to make sure the changes are cemented within mm -hmm. society itself. Mm -hmm. It's a very different kind of world and a different kind of environment that exists. Mm, definitely. So let's move on to our second character, Bahara. Um, well, he brings a string. So I think personally he represents someone who wants to climb the socioeconomic ladder when he woke up at the level six, talked to his inmates, Goren. He wants to climb up the ladder to level five. But the people at the top level, of course, don't really give a shit about him. Um, and he is also the teammate who joined the Goren's project later on for this film. And there is also a Maguri, you know, she has the privilege to choose cellmates. And he does not exactly know and aware how the whole system works. And he is part of the administration team, you know, um, doesn't really know the juice of what's real life inside a cell. And so do you think she is one of the people who represent in our society the administration in general to advocate the redistribution for wealth? Because 
she literally every single day kind of yelled at people at a lower level to take their portion so everybody can get in the food. So what do you think? I think definitely that Imogiri represents the naivete of the government. Mm. She represents a kind of individual that exists in the government where they seek to do good, they try to do good, but then they don't really understand the behemoth, which is the bureaucratic system of the government or of governments in general. So she ends up in a state of despondency. Or let's say she could be like a byproduct for the whole system. Absolutely. She could be a byproduct of that. And she could try to do good. She could try to help people out. But at the end of the day, she is just stuck in this very Sisyphean kind of state where no matter how much she tries to help people, the people may not necessarily listen. Or maybe the system itself cannot necessarily change. Because mm -hmm. there's just so much at work, there's so many gears that are in action right now, that mm -hmm. if she were to implement the changes that she wanted to implement, the whole system mm -hmm. itself could change in an absolutely radical kind of way, which can mm -hmm. actually and it's really the hard end to do of the government itself, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, the loss, the greediness of the people in the cell take over the entire humanity and rationale. That's why she always failed for her, you know, portrayed, idealized strategy to ration the whole foods um of course in general people at the top represent the rich who has the privilege to enjoy the big meal and can choose whatever they want people at the lower level represent the poor who can take only the leftover of the food which has already been picked by people above their level and socioeconomic status there is another thing i wanted to talk about the usage of the imaginative figure so who are the people who are not in this game? We see every, not every single person, like the main storyline is within the cell. But the people who are outside of the entire cell are the ones who design the entire game. You know, they use the whole system to make money, understand human behavior. So do you think they represent those who are, are the top, top of our society's socioeconomic status level? Uh, I think so. But then again, I'm not too sure. Because I really don't hang around people who are at the top tiers of society, <laughs> so to say. I'm with mm -hmm. individuals who have means, who act like they have means, and who take uh, their means and they use them in the kind of way. But I'm by no means among people who are like nine-figure millionaires or ten-figure individuals whatsoever. But what I can say, though, is when you have nine figures or when you have ten figures in terms of your wealth, you have to be invisible. What do you mean by invisible? So if you ever look at any of the billionaire individuals or any individuals that became billionaires, they're not necessarily in the public eye, so to say. They're not necessarily walking around on the streets, so to say. You, it's very rare that you'll find a billionaire walking the streets without very intense security. The reason that is is because mm. all billionaires and nine-figure millionaires are targets because somebody will just come up, abduct them, and take them away. So they need to have a lot what of security. They need to get rid of a lot of their social media presences unless it's for particular purposes. And they have to live a kind of life that is very secluded. If you look at a billionaire's mansion, it's in a gated community and the property itself is gated. The property in the house itself is up a road, which has very high like visuals. You have cameras everywhere. And the reason that is is because... Literally anybody could just, you don't want anybody to just drive onto the property, driving into your property, knocking on your door one day, you open it and you're put into the car and you're driven off. That's the last thing anybody would want to have. But that's the first thing a lot of people would want to do in these kinds of situations because the ransoms 
that they could get is on a whole different level. And so mm-hmm. in platform itself, a lot of the like billionaires or multimillionaires that they would necessarily represent tend to have a very invisible presence, though you understand that they are there. And that's exactly how billionaires and nine-figure millionaires really live their lives. It's that you know that they're there, you know that they're profiting in one way or another, but you can never really see them because the moment you can see them is the moment that billionaire or that nine-figure millionaire is in a state of danger. Because it just goes to show that individual could just disappear right in front of your eyes. Well, they're kind of be portrayed in the film because they're the ones who design the whole system and they're the ones who cook the food for the entire cellmates to consume every single day. In the real life, I personally think they represent people who reproduce the whole system structure and then reproduce those byproducts within the system. And then they're probably not the ones who need to face the struggle as well as the wealth and poor in the system, but they're the ones who are on top of everything and kind of like oversee the entire socioeconomic structure structure in the world of capitalism. Speaking of capitalism, let's talk about how, you know, um, very popularly speaking, this film is always being connected to capitalism. Well, yeah, I know. I think for me, like, the food represents enough for everyone, but the greed of the top caused the starve at the bottom. We human beings are self-concerned realists. You know, humans are self-interested. In a hyper-competitive society, we all act like cannibalism. This is the main fundamental basis for capitalism theory from Marx. And note here, he was saying human beings are self-interested, not selfish. Those are two different concepts. The way capitalism is being portrayed in... Uh platform is very different it's almost the same kind of way in the same kind of parallel that you would see in animal farm by george orwell where the way he portrays communism and the way capitalism works is very much it's regimented you're not sure where you are you have to fight to get the way to the top everyone has different varying amounts of wealth and that dictates their behaviors and platform really mm-hmm. takes those feelings and they project it onto the screen so that you can feel that sort of shock at the how the system works Whereas in Animal Farm, in George Orwell, you essentially see how this system is already inherently corrupt. This capitalistic system is inherently corrupt with the hierarchy and the royalty and everything like that. But then once you have a communist system, a socialist system in the works, you see how it sort of starts to be very profitable. But then there are certain individuals as greeds. This is mostly articulated in Animal Farm through the pigs, Napoleon, Snowball, Mm. and pigs like that. Right. You sort of see how they become the ones who are in charge. They are the ones who have the power and the drive to control Mm. everything, especially Napoleon himself. And it just gets to the point where pigs and humanities, and pigs and humanity itself, essentially have no differentiating features. They are very much one and the same. And just goes to the hum- the basic need of humanity to want more, to get more, and to keep trying to strive to receive more at all costs, so to say. Because at the right. end of the day, there are people out there who just enjoy a 9 to 5. They just live a very simple life. They really don't want much. But there is always something, always that thought where I could have more. I may want to have more. And what that more is, I may not know, but I know I definitely want to improve my world. And that's what helps mm-hmm. drive humanity to reach higher and higher rungs of civilization, higher and higher rungs of living. It's what separated us from how we were living in Sumeria and in the Indus Valley civilizations and in Sub-Saharan Africa. And how we live now or how we will be living 
in the near future. The fact that they use novel and Napoleon as the name of the pig really just caught me. So how do you like those terms? You know, like what's the、uh, literal effects for using those names for pigs? Well, I think in Animal Farm, the word snowball itself, as everyone knows who's been in the Arctic, who's been in the tundra, who's been in cold weather, snowballs are inherently very light. You throw a snowball, it's not going to hurt you. Well, it's gonna hurt you, but yeah, I know what you mean. Well, it may well, hurt it's if it's hurt like、you. solid block of ice. Then it'll actually hurt. Okay. But in this case, it's like a very light, very fluffy kind of thing.、All、but、right. with a name like Napoleon, if you were to look at history, and this is from a very simple context, Napoleonic、mm. codes, Napoleon did a whole bunch of stuff with the first French Empire. But look at it this way: Napoleon was so feared that it took six wars, six coalitions. From the European powers to get rid of Napoleon. Now, put this into perspective: in the Gulf War and Iraq wars against Saddam Hussein, it took one major coalition from the world powers, maybe two coalitions, to get rid of Saddam Hussein.、Mm-hmm. Napoleon, it took six.、Mm-hmm. And Napoleon himself, when he was fighting on the for the French Revolution and Republic, fighting all the enemies, he was a very terrifying force. In fact, there was one quote. I believe it was from a man named Karl von Clausewitz. Or something to that effect, or the Duke of Wellington.、Mm-hmm. Essentially, it was said that Napoleon, when he was on the battlefield, could make the difference of forty thousand men. And so, the character of Napoleon is very strong, very tough. And Napoleon in Animal Farm is exactly the same way: tough, driven, very much the kind of individual that will train the dogs to turn on any enemies of himself. And it just goes to show the sheer awesomeness. Of、wow. Napoleon, and I use the word awesomeness not in a positive connotation, but just the kind of emotions that Napoleon himself, or Napoleon itself, the pig, could actually like inspire、yeah. inside individuals. What's your journey for getting to know this book at the first time? Because I remember when I was in middle school and high school, it is on the to-do list. Given by my teachers, so I was like, "Oh, I have to read this book." All right, in this English version, you know, English is not my first language, but I、um, read the whole book, learning the symbolism and everything, bigger implication, and I got really, really、um, attracted by this book. What's your journey? And then I know you did you have did you see the film version for this book? I saw a little bit of the film version. It was the Jim Henson.、Uh... Mm. Puppetries within the、okay. film that really grasped me,、right. but I read the book itself and I sort of examined the story because I was a、When、fan of George Orwell's 1984. When did I read it?、Mm-hmm. I want to say like a couple years ago. I would have、okay. to say, maybe when I was like a freshman in、uh, college or maybe like a senior in high school around that、oh. time. That's when I really examined the story itself. But I wanted to read Animal Farm because Animal Farm was a lot more personal work. I believe for George Orwell, because George Orwell was a socialist. He was very much in line with what was happening in 1917 in Russia, deposing the Tsar in favor of communism. George Orwell was the kind of individual that would initially support these kind of movements, but、mm-hmm. at the same time, he was a very staunch opponent of Stalinism. Because what happened with Stalin was very similar with what happened with Napoleon in Animal Farm. Stalin got rid of all of his、uh, rivals. He、mm-hmm. created this cult of personality. He purged anyone that was against him, and so George Orwell was very much against this. So he wrote Animal Farm in the 1940s, when the U.S. and when Britain was in a wartime alliance with the Soviet Union. But what ended up happening was, after the World War II had ended, after the Second World War had ended, 
Russia, the United States, and Britain ended up being at odds with each other. And when the British Empire started to decline, because the British Empire really just started to lose all of its resources during the wars, during the Depression, and a whole bunch of different factors, all it really came down to was the U.S. versus Russia. And George Orwell released Animal Farm amid this sort of Cold War hysteria and became very, very popular because people were reading this book and they thought, oh, wow, so this could be how communist works. This could be mm -hmm. how Stalinism worked. Mm -hmm. This is how the system really worked in Russia. People had a sense that this was a commentary on that. And so people wanted to read it and they wanted to understand it even more. Also, a really recent film, Parasite. We talked about this before. That is a very, very visual representation for the class theory, society, rich and poor, how they intermingle together. I also really, really love the representation for color, color grids, as well as the whole emotion. Tell me more about your uh, understanding for the film and how it relates to our today's topic. Well, I could go on all day about Parasite, really. I, Bong Joon-ho oh, yeah, is a master director. He's a really, really great storyteller. And mm -hmm. with Parasite, I don't think it's his strongest work, per se. I've heard a lot of people say that it was one of his major works, but it's not necessarily his best. Some people may say Snowpiercer mm. was his best. Some people may say Okja was his best. But Parasite itself, as a concept, as a story, is very well crafted. I remember reading over the screenplay, mm. which you can actually find on Google. Just type in Parasite script, you'll find a PDF. And just reading through what the characters are saying and how the story ended up flowing, it's already just a very intense work. It's very intense commentary on how upper-class individuals may interact with the world, how lower-class individuals interact with the world, and just mm -hmm. sort of the definition and the line separating the two and what you have to do in both worlds in order to survive, in order to thrive. And a few of the images that he writes about within the story end up creating such a very intense emotional reaction. For example, when the family goes back to their home during the flood and the toilet is bursting oh, with water. Yes. That thing really got me. When everything, emotion, complication, conflicts leads to that point. And your brain, it just like, wow, explode during that moment. And also right at the very beginning too, when you have the fumigators come around and they're putting the fumigation into the apartment itself and they're mm. trying to fold pizza boxes amid the fumigation, they leave the windows open because they need to get rid of all the pesticides. They need to get rid of all the insects inside. And even though they're all burning and everything like that, they have to fold through the pizza boxes because that's what they have to do. They have to get the money. And that's just goes to show the kind of pressures that exist. What goes back to platform even, essentially saying you got to do what you got to do to survive. Exactly. There is a quote that I remember from the director. So the quote goes, Perhaps there are individuals who will give up their position voluntarily to achieve more egalitarian society. However, for the group that should give in, it's very difficult to collectively agree on because we are all selfish, but there are some among us who are very selfish and the latter, the most selfish, light the fuse and fire the selfishness spread easily among the others. Also, he was talking about this film is more here to not change the world but it's here to change oneself instead of a social critique it's more like a social self-criticism you know when you watch this film you will kind of imagine yourself in this cell system and then you were thinking about what if what are you going to do if you're in the level six and what are you going to do if you're a level 260 
And I think one person is blind somehow, not in the sense that they don't understand what's going on on the other level of society, especially with now internet, with higher education, everything. It's phenomenal. People know, but the really question is: Would they necessarily relate to the people in the lower level? Maybe not. Yeah, exactly that. And that's the thing about a lot of these commentary films and a lot of these films、mm. that. Really try to portray ideas. It's not like they're actually trying to comment on things. It's just they're trying to get people to feel emotions, to see these sights, and to really think about it and reflect. But if something were to、mm. happen, then so be it. But at the end of the day, it's just one person's ideas, how the person sees the world in this kind of way, and、mm. the only thing you can basically do is just take it or leave it. You can、right. choose to watch it over and to disagree with it. You can choose to agree with it, but at the end of the day, the artist has just a duty to just portraying the message, to portraying the image, and just to portraying everything.、And、that's true about platform. It's true about Animal Farm. It's true about Parasite, and it's true about all these kinds of works. It's just how societies end up working. It's how their world. Ends up working, and how they end up seeing the world through this kind of way. So yeah, I totally agree with what you said. I think one's understanding of the world is composed of access consciousness instead of the phenomenal consciousness. Well, just in case you know, it's a concept from my philosophy class. Well, NYU philosophy program is very great.、Uh, it is from one of the founding father for consciousness philosophy in that block. Shout out to my professor. So. Really encourage people who love film, book, literature, you know, aesthetics to actually dig more into you know sociological theory and as well as philosophical theory. Those concept and bigger framework will help one to understand the inherent message in art form even better. Do you agree? Yes, absolutely. Because when you look at big sociological theorems and when you look at major structures, when you look at the big picture, so to say. Mm. That helps you understand art and creativity because art itself and creativity itself, they try to take specific aspects of that, take、mm. specific viewpoints to look out into the bigger picture.、Mm-hmm. And when you already understand the bigger picture, you understand where these concepts, where this art is trying to pinpoint, so to say, and try to evoke these emotions. And that just gives you a better appreciation for it all in all. So, read as much as you can, read into the news a little bit. But always try to understand how these class societies, how these class environments works, because when you do, and when you look at films like Parasite and Platform and Animal Farm, then you can try to understand how the world itself really works, and you try to understand how the world really works from their eyes. Well, besides actually looking at those big books and then research papers, it's very encouraged just to listen to Devchen Symposium because we start with a little bit easygoing topic. But we're gonna give you deeper digging as well as takeaway and our understanding knowledge takeaway from the really expensive university and institution, <laughs> all our endeavors. So tune in to our podcast content. If you have something really interesting that you really want to know, comment below, and I will see you guys next week. Yep. Be sure to turn tune in on Facebook, Instagram as well for updates about the podcast. And be sure to visit our Patreon page as well if you want to donate to the podcast itself. We're going to be trying to bring in special guests in the future. We're trying to get better audio equipment. We're trying to improve the podcast experience. So when you are able to just donate whatever you can, just be sure to visit the Patreon page, Devchen Symposium, 
and just keep in touch and we'll try to improve our experience. See you next week. Everyone have a great Friday.